Take your Bibles and open up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 this morning. And uh, before we jump into this, uh, I want to highlight, so this week is kind of a gap week. We finished our series of talks on our statement of faith last week. And starting next Sunday, uh, leading up to Christmas, we're going to be doing a series called Perspectives on Christmas. And uh, what, we're, what that's going to entail is we're going to look at a different character in the Christmas narrative each week. And evaluate based in what happened to them, what their character is, and what their response was, how we should then respond to the same narrative that we've often heard over and over and over again. And so come and join us for that as we uh, look at individual characters in in that narrative. I think it's going to be a really rich time together. And that's all going to culminate on Christmas Eve. That'll be the final talk in that series of talks. So I'm really looking forward to opening up God's Word and evaluating those individuals with you. But today, we're just spending this weekend focusing on families, which was really appropriate as we had child dedication this morning. And even as we're coming off of Thanksgiving and looking at Christmas, this is often a season of time where we spend a lot of time together. And As we think about families, we're going to sit in Colossians 3, but I want to open up and just lay out for you four different scenarios, and I want to pose the question to you, who or what do you serve? Who or what do you serve? Justin has worked his whole life leading up to his current career. He loves what he does, and he's good at it. Justin is often commended and affirmed by both managers and co-workers, confirming to him that he's doing what he's supposed to. It isn't long before Justin is asked to oversee multiple business projects, taking more of his time, but resulting in better pay and more opportunities. Slowly but surely, Justin's workload forces him to make cuts in other areas. Relationships dwindle. Family is left wondering if he will show up or not. Personal health begins taking a back seat. And any faith life has become non-existent. But hey, work is good. Janice is very proud of her home. She spends hours each day cleaning, vacuuming, and dusting. It makes her feel good when visitors comment what a beautiful home she has. But her children resent her compulsive cleanliness. They never invite their friends to come over because Janice is so paranoid about messing up the carpet. Janice has a distorted, she has distorted the home that God has provided as a place of shelter and comfort and has made it a shrine unto itself. She depends far more, she spends far more time working on her home than she does on Bible study, prayer, etc. Debbie's family means everything to her. Her son and cute little daughter play sports, take music lessons, and attend private school. Debbie spends every waking moment of every day caring for her kids. Often she goes through an entire day without having time for her husband, 
which makes him feel neglected. If he feels neglected, I wonder how God feels. She lives through her children. They are like false gods in her life. Stephanie is in her third year of high school and is by all standards an above average student. She not only maintains high grades in her normal classes, but manages to fit in college prep classes, extra school activities, sports, and volunteers at church when she can. Stephanie has found that when it comes to her relationships with people, what she does defines her much easier than who she is. Her parents are proud of all that she is accomplishing, teachers sing her praises, and coaches are constantly trying to recruit her due to her athletic ability. Becoming more and more rooted in what she is accomplishing, Stephanie wrestles with what life will look like outside of her schedule. Her personal life has ceased to be as it too is defined by her busy routine. Now, I am convinced that every one of us either resonates with one of these individuals or knows someone who can. If we saw these people in any of their thriving environments, we would probably sing their praises as well. But this is this feeding the areas that are most important? I often hear families expressing a struggle, a tension, with how to manage everyone's schedules and even further, how to have a truly thriving marriage and home. And so as we open to Colossians 3 today, that's going to be our focal point. Is not just asking the question, who or what do I serve, but longing for and pursuing a desire to build our homes on a foundation that will last. And understanding what must I do in order to bring that to be to the best of my ability. So we're going to open, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this text this morning. Heavenly Father, this is a subject matter that is so challenging because there's so many dynamics in the midst of our lives. And for just this short time, Father, I pray that you would help us to focus in on your word, on your truth, and ask the personal question, who do I serve? Lord, that this time would reveal in our homes areas where we need to grow and move beyond, but that it would also provide from your word solutions to the issues we're wrestling with and struggling with, and that we would desire our homes to be built on a foundation that lasts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a little bit about the book of Colossians. Colossians the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church at Colossae. Everyone say Colossae. And we don't know a whole lot about Colossae other than the fact that it is located, it was located in Asia Minor, which does anyone have any idea? Asia Minor past, what is that presently? Does anyone know? Turkey. Good. Okay. So present day Turkey, this is where this is all taking place. And Paul is writing from prison. We see that in chapter 1, verse 13. 
that he is imprisoned and writing this letter to the church. Now, specifically, this letter has a whole of three dominant themes throughout the entire thing. So if you were to read the whole book of Colossians, you would pull, you might pull some others out, but these three are very dominant. The first one is an encouragement to the church at Colossae for their faith and all that has been, all that they have been committed to in doing. And you see that in chapter 2, verse 5, where he says, I am thankful for your faith. The second theme that we see is a warning against false teaching. And this is a theme that you see in many of Paul's letters because it was one of the things that threatened the church the most. Was all these other outside influences that were coming in and threatening to distort the gospel that they had been told. And you see his warnings about false teachings in chapter 2 as well, really verses 6 through 23. The third and probably the most dominant theme in the book of Colossians is the theme of the supremacy of Christ. In other words, highlighting and emphasizing over and over the place that Christ and Christ alone should have in our lives. And specifically in chapter 3, we're going to see that he turns the attention in that to the home. But I want to start us in verse 1, because it leads into the section on our homes in a way that prefaces how we should go into that thinking. Rather than jumping right into it, I want to give us a full blanketed view of what he's saying here. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Everyone say above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above. Everyone say above. Not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with God. Now, this passage in Colossians chapter 3, the beginning of this chapter, really correlates directly with some other passages in Scripture. Namely, one in particular that comes to mind would be Hebrews 12. Verses 1 and 2, which says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus in the same way that he would say, fix your eyes on the things that are above, not on, not on the things that are on earth. And the reason he gives for that is because you have been raised with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ, then automatically he's correlating. This should be a direct follow-up to that. If you are indeed a follower of Jesus then what comes next should directly be, my eyes are no longer distracted by what's here, but I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, and therefore I'm fixing my eyes on that which is of eternal value, that which is above. Now another passage that speaks to that is in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus himself says, store up for yourselves treasures in where? 
in heaven. Everyone say heaven. Because, and he goes on to articulate and say, that's because treasures in heaven are not going to be stolen. They're not going to be destroyed. But everything that remains here on earth is. And so, logically, if we believe that everything here on earth is transient or temporary, then naturally, I should desire to fix my eyes on that which is not. If I am in Christ, then my sustaining power should no longer, get this, my sustaining power should no longer come from anything that is on this earth. My eyes should be fixed in one place. Now jump with me to verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3 where it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Everyone say thankful. Let the word of Christ, this is verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, if I'm being completely honest with you, I could, pre- I could just read this text and pray for us and we could be done. Because there's so much there. And you recognize the wording here specifically, put on then. That's an active term, okay? He's not saying, come to church and let someone else put this on for you. Any more than someone would come to you today. And expect you, who are sitting here, to go, why don't you go ahead and let someone else put on your clothes? Okay? And it's a sign of maturity, right? Our children need our help getting dressed. Because they have not reached a level of maturity. And at some point, we pray and we hope that they would get to a place where, yes... My kids can do this. Spiritually, it's not any different. And Paul speaks about this in other places. He's, uh, or not Paul, I'm sorry. The author of Hebrews speaks about this when he says, you should be, you should be teaching the Word of God. You've sat under this. You've, you've heard these things. You should be teaching, but you're still drinking milk. You're, you can't ingest solid food yet. And It comes back to this notion of maturity and for the person who's maturing in Christ, we get to a point where we put on and we choose to put on what follows in that verse. We choose to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say 
that you're going to master this and you're going to do it perfectly. Because the reality is, the only perfect person who's walked this earth was Jesus himself. But that should not keep us from striving to be like Christ. That's what it means to fix my eyes on Jesus, to pursue those things that are above, not the things that are simply here on earth. And as I choose to wake up and not only get ready for the day, but to put on these things in Colossians 3, I'm convinced that we'll start to see our perspective shift away from those earthly things to that which is of Jesus himself. This at the found, is really at the foundation of everything we should strive for as a church. Not only family life, but body life. This should set the standard. Now, in all of this, here's the main idea I want you to grasp this morning. And we're going to jump into this section specifically speaking of our homes. But this is the main idea I want you to grasp today. And it's this. In every relationship, choose to serve Christ. In every relationship, choose to serve Christ. And verse 17 transitions beautifully into this main section of Colossians 3 I want to focus our attention on today. Coming off of 17 where it says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then we start in, verse 18, read with me. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Now here's what I want to do this morning. I want to break this up and speak directly to specific individuals. Okay? And so, the first people I want to speak to is wives. So how many, how many wives do we have here today? Just raise your hand. Praise God. Thank you. I'm so grateful for the women in our church. And for all that you bring to the ministries here. And in this passage specifically, there is a challenge in this. Here's what I want you to grasp from Colossians 3. Wives, choose to serve your husbands as if you are serving Christ. Choose to serve your husbands as if you are serving Christ. Now, here's what I want to do in response to this. Because in the midst of all of this, there's usually some guy who's sitting there going, Yeah, you, you should serve me like Jesus. 
And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to read this again. And then all you men, all you husbands specifically, here's what I want you to say. I want you to say in response, we don't deserve it. Okay? So I'm going to read this statement about wives. And then I want you to respond by saying we don't deserve it. Okay? Here we go. Just a second. Wives, choose to serve your husbands as if you were serving Christ. Oh, we're going to do better than that. I want a heartfelt, we do not deserve this, guys, okay? We're going to try again. We're going to warm up. Wives, choose to serve your husbands as if you were serving Christ. Okay. Now, guys, that is so true. We don't deserve... Ultimately, what we don't deserve, we don't deserve the grace of God given to us in Christ. And so, if our wives choose to serve us as if they're serving Jesus, it's not because you've earned that. You don't deserve to be served that way because you're a sinful person. None of us do. And I read this story I thought was really appropriate in the midst of this. There was a man and a woman who'd been married for more than 60 years. And they'd shared everything. They'd talked about everything. They'd kept no secrets from each other except that little old woman had a shoebox in the top of her closet that she had cautioned her husband never to open or ask about. For all these years, he'd never thought about the box. But one day, the little old woman got very sick and the doctor said she would not recover In trying to sort out their affairs, the little old man took down the shoebox and took it to his wife's bedside, and she agreed that it was time he should know what was in the box. When he opened it, he found two crocheted doilies and a stack of money totaling $25,000. He asked her about the contents. She said, when we were to be married, my grandmother told me the secret of a happy marriage was to never argue. She told me that if I ever got angry with you, I should just keep quiet and crochet a doily. The little old man was so moved, he had to fight back tears. Only two precious doilies were in the box. She had only been angry with him two times in all those years of living and loving. He almost burst with happiness. Honey, he said, that explains the doilies, but what about all this money? Where did it come from? Oh, she said, that's the money I made from selling the doilies. So, ladies, in no way am I saying this is going to be an easy thing. But if we look at Colossians 3, whenever it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then right after that it says, Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. This is not about some domineering perspective of what marriage is supposed to be rather it's meant to be i'm choosing to serve my spouse as if i'm serving jesus himself everything i'm doing whatever i say whatever i do i'm doing as to the lord not to just mankind at the end of the day you will be responsible for how you you choose to serve christ in every area of your life including your marriage now 
Husbands, it's your turn. Okay? Now, here's what I have. How many husbands do we have here? Okay? Praise God. So thankful for the men of our church. Husbands, choose to serve your wives as if you were serving Christ. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now, ladies, we're going to do the same thing. And we're going to see if you can outdo the guys and get it the first time. Okay? So I'm going to say that again. And ladies, I want you to say, wives, I want you to say, we don't deserve it. Okay? Husbands, choose to serve your wives as if you were serving Christ. That was pretty good. Okay? Now, that's just as true... For you ladies, as it is for us guys, we're sinful people in need of a Savior. And that means in the midst of everything going on in my life, I don't deserve the grace and the love given to us from God through Christ. I, I don't deserve that. And so if my husband, if, if your husband chooses to serve you, as he would Jesus... It's not because you have earned that. You don't deserve that. Now, guys, there's several other passages that are really profound when it comes to your role in the home. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And he goes on from there to indicate that If you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, your prayers can be hindered. It's taken that seriously in Scripture. And then in Ephesians 5.25 it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Guys, that doesn't just mean you can sit there and say, I would die for you and be off the cuff. It's literally you modeling and embodying Jesus in your home. That's a huge responsibility. You should serve your wife as you would Jesus himself. Husbands, love your wives. This is Colossians 3.19. And do not be harsh with them. This is a direct command of Scripture, guys. And I would venture to say many of us have majorly screwed this up and have not confessed that. And so maybe today, you husbands need to sit here and go, man, I have some repenting I need to do to my wife for things that I have left unsettled in my home. And if I'm truly going to serve my wife as I would Jesus, then this is where I need to start because I have been harsh with my wife. Go home and rectify that. Seek to model Jesus. Okay, the third category of people here that it talks about Children. How many kids are in here? Raise your hand. Woohoo! I love our kids. They are so much fun. And we have so many of them here. I echo everything Drew said. I'm so excited by every one of our kids here. So kids, this is for you, okay? So listen up, alright? And this is a really hard one sometimes, okay? I understand this is hard. But this is what the Bible teaches us, and so it needs to be something that we just take to heart and say, this is what God is telling us, okay? Kids, 
I want to challenge you to choose to obey your parents as if you were obeying Jesus himself. Okay? That means, as kids in your home, if Jesus was standing there and telling you you should do something, do you think that you should probably do it? Alright kids, I want you to respond, okay? Do you think you should do it? Yes! Okay, awesome! And that's the same attitude we should have when we, when our parents tell us to do something. Specifically, in Colossians 3, in verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This pleases the Lord, okay? Now, kids, this is not going to be easy all the time, okay? Now, I want to see how well you kids are listening. Can you say, it's not going to be easy? Can you say that? You guys are doing good. Your parents will get upset with you and will not approach situations the right way. Okay? Your parents will drop the ball and forget something that is important to you. Your parents will make decisions that you don't agree with. But it is your parents who have to give an account someday for how they chose to parent, okay? You can only be responsible for how you obeyed God's commands. All right, kids? I want all of you kids to say God's commands. Awesome. You can only be responsible for that. Now, the fourth group I want to speak to directly is those of you who are parents. And here's what I would challenge you as parents. Choose to love your children as God in Christ has loved you. Choose to love your children as God in Christ has loved you. Now, here's what we're going to do with this one, okay? I'm going to say this again, and this time I want all you parents to verbalize something that you just need to settle into your being. And that is, I want you to say Out loud, after I read this again, I want you to say, they don't deserve it. Okay? Okay? So I'm going to read this again. Parents, choose to love your children as God in Christ has loved you. Now, here's the amazing truth behind that. In the same way that you and I don't deserve the love of our Heavenly Father and the way He's modeled that to us. He continues to extend His grace to us every single day. When we screw up, when we mess up, when we throw an adult fit, God's grace is still readily available. And He loves us by disciplining us. So in no way am I saying that biblically you should just forego any discipline in your homes. That is not what Scripture says. But by all means, our character and our attitude as parents should be characterized by that which God in Christ has already modeled to us. Now this can be very hard. Okay? And the story that I often tell to model this the best, and I've told some of you individually, I think, I don't think I've ever talked about it up here, is when we were trying to sell our house in Oregon, Before we moved back, 
Our house was on the market, so anybody could show up on any day, at any time, to look at this house. And our kids had woken up that morning before us and had come downstairs. And I came downstairs my usual time, and I, we had a, a split-level home, so you came down the stairs, and our living area was downstairs. And I came down the stairs to find my middle child to have emptied an entire Costco bottle of chocolate syrup all over the carpet and was sitting there swirling her hands. And I turned around and I walked back up the stairs. And I told my wife, you need to deal with this because if I do, it's not going to be good. Now, in that situation, my human reaction was not good. Okay? I was so upset. And my first thought was, we have to replace all the carpet. We didn't have to do that. It cleaned up. We had to scrape it up with a butter knife out of the carpet, but it cleaned up. Okay? And now we laugh about it. Okay? But that's one example of a circumstance that could have taken a drastic turn in a very, very bad direction. And looking at Colossians 3, verse 21, where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. We have a responsibility as parents to model what God and Christ has already shown to us. How are you going to respond if your child comes home and tells you that they failed a test? How are you going to respond if your child is arrested for drunk driving someday? How are you going to respond if your child just stops coming home? And nobody would wish that on anybody's family, and yet situations like that are bound to happen in various ways. And our response as parents has to be one where we say, how can I reveal and show the grace of God through Christ in those situations and seek to model Jesus in my home? In every relationship, choose to serve Christ. Now, as we get ready to close, I want to just share as I was praying through this and thinking through this, I asked the question, what happens when I choose to love parents and live with my spouse, really in any relationship? When I choose to model this, in light of what God has done for me, what happens? And I just want to give you three specific things that happen to the person who chooses to live this way. The first one is that I stop taking everything personally. I come to the table with expectations in every relationship I have. Those expectations drive my response. When it comes to another's reaction or behavior, whether I realize it or not, my response is dictated by my expectations. When my expectations are not met, I take it personally. When my spouse decides to sit on their phone or turn on the TV, when I had the expectation that they would sit and talk with me, I react accordingly. When my children spend more time under the restaurant booth than sitting straight with their arms folded in their lap as I expected, I react accordingly. If I choose to model Jesus, I stop taking everything personally and simply see that my kids and my spouse is a sinful person just like me in need of God's grace. 
Secondly, I start seeing things that I've never seen in the lives of those I love most. When things are not going the way I think they should, I become so consumed by all that is wrong that I miss what isn't. That is, I become fixated on every problem in my home rather than considering the praises. I become so frustrated that my child didn't clean up their room when I told them to that I missed the moment that they grabbed the hand of their younger sibling and prayed with them. I become so frustrated with what my spouse isn't doing that I missed the small act of kindness that was committed when they took out the trash or did the dishes. Thirdly, the culture of my home changes. Imagine a household where everyone served each other out of an understanding of what God has done for us already. Imagine a marriage where our devotion to Jesus carries over into the relationships that God has placed right in our own walls. When we choose to model the love and grace of God in our homes, they move from places of brokenness, unknowns, insecurity, stress, and burden to places of brokenness, security, affirmation, and love. Notice that brokenness is still part of that household. In the same way that God gave His Son for us, not when we were at our best, but when we were dead in our sin, broken, tattered, torn. Imagine the difference. So what will you choose today? As you leave this place and face the everyday routine that you are used to, where will you fix your eyes? As you face the rewards, challenges, hurts, and sorrows of your relationships, who will you choose to serve? In every relationship, choose to serve Christ. The worship team is going to come and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is so challenging. God, we are not deserving of your grace. We are not deserving of your love. And we make that very evident each and every day. Father, I pray that we, you would give us the perseverance, the wisdom to know how to model your grace, your love in our homes, that we would respond in ways that those people don't deserve in the same way that you have responded to us in a way that we do not deserve. Father, that you would direct our focus continually back to a place where we're fixing our eyes on the things above. That we, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to you, our Father, through Him. Lord, we commit this all into your hands. Pray that you would move in our homes and build, secure them on a firm foundation. We pray this in Jesus' name.